Chapter Six of the Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Six. Don Carlos forgets himself still further. The not so very false as falsehood goes, the spinning out and drawing fine, you know, really mere novel writing of a sort, acting, improvising, make believe. Surely not downright cheatery. R. Browning It cost Carlos some time and trouble to drive away the haunting thoughts which Losada's words had awakened, but he succeeded at length, or perhaps it would be more truthful to say, the bright eyes and witching smiles of Doña Beatrice accomplished the work for him. Every dream, however, must have a waking. Sometimes a slight sound, ludicrously trivial in its cause, dispels a slumber throught with wondrous visions in which we have been playing the part of kings and emperors. "'Nephew Don Carlos,' said Don Manuel one day, "'is it not time you thought of shaving your head? You are learned enough for your orders long ago, and, in a plentiful house, supper is soon dressed.' "'True, senor, my uncle,' murmured Carlos, looking suddenly aghast. "'But I am under the canonical age.' "'But you can get a dispensation.' "'Why such haste? There is time yet and to spare.' That is not so sure. I hear the cura of San Lucar has one foot in the grave. The living is a good one, and I think I know where to go for it. So take care you lose not a heifer for want of a halter to hold it by. With these words on his lips, Don Manuel went out. At the same moment, Gonsalvo, who lay listlessly on a sofa at one end of the room, or rather court, reading Lazario de Tormes, the first Spanish novel, burst into a loud paroxysm of laughter. "'What may be the theme of your merriment?' asked Carlos, turning his large, dreamy eyes languidly towards him. "'Yourself, amigo mio! You would make the stone saints of the cathedral laugh on their pedestals. There you stand, pale as marble, a living image of despair. Come, rouse yourself. What do you mean to do? Will you take what you wish, or let your chance slip by, and then sit and weep because you have it not? Will you be a priest?' or a man. Make your choice this hour, for one you must be, and both you cannot be. Carlos answered him not. In truth he dared not answer him. Every word was the voice of his own heart. Perhaps it was also, though he knew it not, the voice of the great tempter. He withdrew to his chamber, and barred and bolted himself in it. This was the first time in his life that solitude was a necessity to him. His uncle's words had brought with them a terrible revelation. He knew himself now too well, he knew what he loved, what he desired, or rather what he hungered and thirsted for with agonizing intensity. No, never the priest's frock for him. He must call Doña Beatriz de Villavella his, his, before God's altar, or die. Then came a thought, stinging him with sharp, sudden pain. It was a thought that should have come unto him long ago. Juan. And with the name, affection, memory conscious rose up together within him to combat the mad resolve of his passion fiery passions slumbered in the heart of carlos such are sometimes found united with a gentle temper a weak will and sensitive nerves low to their possessor when they are aroused in their strength had carlos been a plain soldier like the brother he was tempted to betray it is possible he might have come forth from this terrible conflict still holding fast his honour and his brotherly affection it was his priestly training that turned the scale he had been taught that simple truth between man and man was a thing of little consequence. 
He had been taught the art of making a hundred clever, plausible excuses for whatever he saw best to do. He had been taught, in short, every species of sophistry by which, to the eyes of others and to his own also, wrong might be made to seem right and black to appear the purest white. His subtle imagination forged in the fire of his kindled passions chains of reasoning in which no skill could detect a flaw. Juan had never loved as he did. Juan would not care. Probably by this time he had forgotten Doña Beatrice. Besides, the tempter whispered furtively within him, he might never return at all. He might die in battle. But Carlos was not yet sunk so low as to give ear for a single instant to this wicked whisper, though certainly he could not henceforth look for his brother's return with the joy with which he had been wont to anticipate that event. But in any case, Beatrice herself should be the judge between them. And he told himself that he knew. How did he know it? That Beatrice preferred him. Then it would be only right and kind to prepare one for an inevitable disappointment. This he could easily do. Letters carefully written might gradually suggest to his brother that Beatrice had other views. And he knew Juan's pride and his fiery temper well enough to calculate that if his jealousy were once aroused, these would soon accomplish the rest. Ere we, who have been taught from our cradles to speak the truth from the heart, turn with loathing from the walls of Carlos Alvarez, we ought to remember that he was a Spaniard, one of a nation whose genius and passion is for intrigue. He was also a Spaniard of the sixteenth century, but above all he was a Spanish Catholic, educated for the priesthood. The ability with which he laid his plans and the enjoyment which its exercise gave him served in itself to blind him to the treachery and ingratitude upon which those plans were founded. He sought an interview with Fray Constantino, and implored from him a letter of recommendation to the imperial recluse at San Euste, whose chaplain and personal favorite the canon magistral had been. But that eloquent preacher, though warm-hearted and generous to a fault, hesitated to grant the request. He represented to Carlos that his imperial majesty did not choose his retreat to be invaded by applicants for favors, and that the journey to San Euste would therefore be, in all probability, worse than useless. Carlos answered that he had fully weighed the difficulties of the case, but that if the line of conduct he adopted seemed peculiar, his circumstances were also. He believed that his father, who died before his birth, had enjoyed the special regard of his imperial majesty, and he hoped that for his sake he might now be willing to show him some kindness. At all events, he was sure of an introduction to his presence through his mayordomo, Don Luis Quijada, lord of Villa Garcia, who was a friend of their house. What he desired to obtain, through the unkindness of his imperial majesty, was a Latin secretaryship, or some similar office, at the court of the new king, where his knowledge of Latin and the talents he hoped he possessed might stand him in good stead, and enable him to support, though with modesty, the station to which his birth entitled him. For although already a licentiate of theology, and with good prospects in the church, he did not wish to take orders, as he had thoughts of marrying. Fray Constantino felt a sympathy with the young man, and perhaps the rather, because if report speaks true, he had once been himself in a somewhat similar position. So he compromised matters by giving him a general letter of recommendation, in which he spoke of his talents and his blameless manners as warmly as he could, from the experience of the nine or ten months during which he had been acquainted with him. And although the attention played by Carlos to his instructions had been slight, and of late most perfunctory, his great natural intelligence had enabled him to stand his ground more creditably than many far more diligent students. The phrase letter Carlos thankfully added to the numerous laudatory epistles from the doctors and professors of Alcala that he already had in his possession. 
All these he enclosed in a cedar box, which he carefully locked and consigned in its turn to a travelling portmanteau, along with a fair stock of wearing apparel, sufficiently rich in material to suit his rank, but modest in colour and fashion. He then informed his uncle that before he took orders it would be necessary for him, in his brother's absence, to take a journey to their little state and set its concerns in order. His uncle, suspecting nothing, approved his plan, and insisted on providing him with the attendance of an armed guard to Nuera, whither he really intended to go in the first instance. End of chapter 6